Welcome to the Juniper Park TBWA Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to people who are using disruption to grow and improve business and culture throughout the world. I am your host, agency podcaster and health and wellness ambassador, Phil Toledis. My guest today on our inaugural episode is the president and founder of Impact, Paul Klein. Founded in 2001, Impact is a B Corp with a singular mission to help corporations and civil society organizations solve social problems. Their promise is to do everything they can to help end poverty, protect the planet, and increase prosperity for people in need. Throughout our conversation, Paul takes us on his journey in discovering his interest in social change, the catalyst in launching Impact, his debut book titled Change for Good, and Everything in Between. Introduced by the president of Juniper Park TBWA, David Toto, here is my conversation with Paul Klein. <laughs> All right. You know what? I, I uh, as people are, are are coming on board, and thank you guys for uh, for making it. I know we have a uh, kind of a short. A short window this morning, uh, and I want to be respectful of everybody's time and of course time. Uh, so I suggest we I suggest we start, you know, getting in the thick of things right away. Um, and so I'm really uh, super happy to to welcome Paul this morning and to introduce you guys to Paul. Uh, Paul, um, it's a very very brief introduction because we've already introduced Paul to you at many uh, uh, or several uh, several occasions. But Paul is a globally recognized uh, authority on the social purpose of business. He founded Impact in 2001, uh, which is a, uh, an organization dedicated to helping businesses solve social problems. Uh, in 2019, he established uh, the Impact Foundation for Social Change, a charitable organization with a mission of helping marginalized populations secure meaningful employment. And at this occasion or around this, actually, we met, we got to, uh, to, to meet Paul about three years ago, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, when we worked with him on an initiative that he created called the Taylor Project, which was a project to support, help uh, Syrian refugees to Canada, uh, an initiative that was endorsed by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the time. He has also written like extensively, and I mean extensively, uh, about business and social change uh, for publications like Adage, Forbes, Financial Post, The Globe and Mail, The Guardian, see what I mean? Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, and then finally, maybe as a, as a way of introduction, he just authored a book called uh, Change for Good an action-oriented approach for businesses to benefit from solving the world's most urgent social problems. So it's been no, no less uh, than this. <laughs> so uh, please join me in wishing Paul uh, a warm welcome this morning, and then I will uh, uh, give uh, Phil uh, the floor uh, to uh, to interview and discuss uh, with Paul. Thank you. Well, thank you, David, for what a, what a generous introduction. It's a pleasure to be here, and I know some of David and some of the team from the, from the Taylor Project work, and I've always been super impressed with, you know, the thinking and the, the folks that are at, at uh, Juniper Park. It was always a pleasure working with you. Thank you. 
Thanks, David. Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of the Disruptor Series that we are recording for our launch of this Disruptor Series podcast. We will be holding a Q&A uh, portion at the very end, so if you have any questions that you uh, that come up into your mind during the course of this conversation, please either put them in the chat or save them for the end if you would like to ask Paul personally. Paul, again, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time today to join us and discuss with us social change. Yeah, thanks, Phil. It's a pleasure. You know, it's really, I'm, I'm super psyched. So the first thing I guess some people might be wondering, um, how would you define social change? Well, I mean, social change is, is, is helping to solve social problems. And there's a lot of ways of looking at those. There's, you know, at a very personal level and also at a more macro level. At the most macro level, you know, I think a, one good way to start to um, think about the issues that matter are looking at the United Nations SDGs and uh, 17 global priorities that have been um, have been targeted by the United Nations as problems that need solving by um, 2030. So they include things like no no poverty and no hunger and education and gender equity and you know I, if the folks haven't seen them, I recommend you check them out. So that's just a, a good macro level way to understand what the you know what the targets are in terms of moving the needle and solving trying to solve these problems and then of course there's more related to those that kind of those things trickle down to think okay well what is how what do all those things mean to our country to our city your neighborhood and to and to people themselves you speak about it very passionately so i'm interested where this interest in social change originated from well, I never really thought about it, you know, in, in that way. I just, I kind of grew up with it. You know, I, like my parents, I came from a a, a family uh, where social change and social justice was just sort of part of the whole thing, you know, like I didn't, but it wasn't really talked about in that way. But my, um, my father was an architect. And one of the things that he was a specialist in is social housing, affordable housing, you'd say now, um, and uh, my mother was the head of a, actually a very large music festival. It was one of the biggest music festivals in North America in the 60s and 70s, still exists, called the Mariposa Folk Festival. But she, beyond the music thing, she was very much a believer in how to communicate social change and social issues through songs. And so she had a very interesting take on social issues, and my father did as well. And I grew up in a kind of environment. So I had the good fortune of being surrounded by some, you know, remarkable people. And it was just kind of in me, but I wasn't really thinking about it. You know, I was really thinking about, um, you know, I, mostly actually I was thinking about playing music, which is the thing that I was really interested in first and foremost. Um, so that's how it started, really. So inherently you were a product of your environment. Yeah, I think so. And uh, my parents were also very, very idealistic people. You know, they were. And um, they were um, not so much practical, you know, but they were very much thinking about kind of some of these ideas. Like I had never had a conversation with my parents about, well, how do you think you're going to make a living in the world or something? You know, like that was not, we were not talking about that. We were talking about, you know, like uh, how to, you know, support the, you know, the, migrant farm workers who are picking grapes and being treated badly in California. Was there any thought of becoming a musician? You mentioned your love for music. 
Yeah, I was a musician actually. I was, uh, but I was at U of T. After I was at U of T, I changed gears completely. Decided to go to the Berkeley School of Music and was playing guitar extensively. And 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 really had no. And I was at a point then when I really thought, well, this is kind of it. I didn't really think I could do anything else. Honestly, I thought that's just what it was. And uh, and and I was kind of good with that. I just then I number of things happened that were in spite of anything that I had planned. Um, that over a long period of time got me reconnected, I would say, to some of the things, some of the values that I grew up with and, and ultimately in a place where I could make change myself. And that pretty much sparked impact. So explain what is impact, uh, the business that you founded. Well, impact is, a, first of all, it's a B Corp. And if for these people, for anyone here who doesn't know B Corps, I think you should, should find out about them. Um, B Corps are a, a sort of a sort of a designation certification of businesses that exist to make environmental and social and or social impact. Um, and it's a really important movement um, around the world. Um, that's we start, I started impact before that, but I was uh, I was actually working at a a communications agency, another communications agency. Call it, it was called uh, uh, called manifest communications who were who who specialized in, in what they called social marketing at the time and they created participation and they were really doing social change advertising i would say for lack of a better description and um i and at the same time when i was there um corporations were starting to talk about well what we used to talk about was corporate citizenship you know like basically donations or strategic philanthropy and i was bringing you know i, I had the situation where I, I i for some reason uh, i was uh, kind of bringing new clients to manifest and we were starting to do work in this area they hadn't worked for corporations too much you know and um Anyway, I really thought I, it just really resonated with me. And I thought I had been there for six years and I thought, well, I could do this on my own. And so I, um, I quit my job. You know, I started working here at home. I had no plan other than to work at home and to kind of connect the dots between business and social change and business and social change organizations. And, um, and really what the through line uh, after all these years is helping answer your question, helping businesses to solve social problems, not just talk about stuff, you know, but actually to do things differently. So that's what it was. From what I'm gathering so far, um, the need to create that social change amongst corporations was severely lacking is what I'm gathering. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, yeah. I mean, it was very, um, I mean, just to go back, actually, the first thing, um, I didn't even know, like the whole idea of the intersection of business and social change was something that I had never thought about. And um, I, I was happened to be working in marketing and fundraising at the Toronto Symphony. And I went to, there's a, there's a global organization of symphony orchestras. It's, it's a strange story, actually, that's true. So uh, there's called the, Amer was called the American Symphony Orchestra League. I went to this conference in Chicago of the American Symphony Orchestra League, and this was in the late 80s, and Ben Cohen from Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream was the keynote speaker. And he, and I had never heard of 
Ben Jerry's at the time. They weren't here, I don't think. And this guy starts talking about how businesses could have a social purpose and make social change. He handed out these, passed out they, what they called peace pops, which were kind of an early cause marketing thing where, you know, some two cents or something from the sale of these went to some 1% for peace campaign. And that was really the light bulb. But I was like, whoa, I just remember hearing that and thinking, this is what I want to do. But, you know, for years, it was really them and perhaps the body shop who were known in this area. And then everyone else over slowly over time, like by the time I quit my job and started Impact in 2001, you know, when I did that, that was like, I thought I was being really smart because I thought it was like a, it was like an important thing uh, and a growing thing, but it was really not. I mean, it was really kind of early. And uh, so uh, I wasn't so smart, but it was it was just something I really believed in. And, but companies at that time, like the, the, the conversation then was, like I remember working, one of my first clients actually was Pfizer and uh, everybody knows. So the dialogue then was like, okay, well, what are you guys doing to support the community? The, what they're, it turns out they're, they're they're donating money to like the soccer club in Montreal and and you know some art exhibition and whatever. And so it was like, well, how about you start to donate money aligned with your therapeutic areas? You know, as you make heart and stroke medication and and you know uh, you know depression medication for depression, all these things. But what about if you found organizations that were kind of doing those things? invested in those that were aligned with your products and that was like whoa that's there's a that's a big idea <laughs> you know that was that was the beginning of of it you know so it was like kind of focusing their donations but it didn't have it took a long time and it's i think that kind of brings us today honestly even though that was 2001 there's a big difference between people who donate money to causes which is sort of inputs versus the idea that you're ex that you exist in part to help solve a social problem because you can put a lot of money into something and make no difference whatsoever um and it at the time it was sort of like well we're done you know we donated money we volunteered whatever check the box and um and we've done our thing and we can now promote that heavily as being a responsible company or something um <clears throat> and um but as I said, I think there's a very big difference between doing that, which in, in the book I call CSR light, um, and then actually committing to solving a social problem, which I think is where we are today. And this is what really matters. So that's a whole different kind of thinking about, about what to do that and why. How do you get businesses into that space and, and differentiate from the two? Well, it's not easy, honestly. You know, I mean, it's just not like some, some kind of, uh, you know, something that that is really fast or easy i mean i think that it's, it's like the like the classic light bulb joke you know how many like how many psychiatrists does it, does it take to change a light bulb one but the light bulb has to want to change you know like it, i don't see that it's my job really to convince people but sometimes you've got corporations who for whatever reason there's some combination of things leadership their own business situation, what matters to employees, where they're located, some kind of some kind of uh, alchemy there that makes it makes it possible or makes it easier for corporations to say, yeah, you know what, 
we're going to shift from, you know, the way we used to do it, which had little to no value from a business point of view or a social point of view, to a place where we're going to do our, we are going to commit to help to solve a social problem, which is relevant to who we are and what we do, and do that in a way which is going to benefit our business. I would argue that like all those things, you know, like going back to the Ben and Jerry story, you know, things like those cause marketing, you know, uh, thing on the on the peace pop. Um, well, that was new then. And that kind of thing is completely ubiquitous now. Like, I don't think any one of us would look at something and say, oh, well, it's a dollar is going to something. Therefore, I'm going to buy this and believe that this is a company that is doing some good in the world. I think it's just kind of a gimmick, really, um, and a promotion. So there's a big difference between corporations or brands that are doing cause promotions to corporations that I think have little or no value or impact to corporations that are saying, okay, we are going to do our best in our own way to help move the needle on an issue that, that really matters. And that means it's more than just the donation. It means it's more than just a promotion. It means like we always ask, like, where's the program? You know, like, where's the, where's the real deal? here? And, um, and, and I think that more and more people like all of us and consumers and investors and potential employees and current employees and, and others, uh, that's what really is influencing people, you know? And I think we were talking about this before that I think that, um, especially now after COVID, when there's really, I feel like, I think we'd all agree there's like a hunger for meaning in our lives. And, um, you know, the, it, the CSR light approach ain't it. You know, that is not, and people are too smart for that. You know, that's bullshit. You know, like that doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. It's just optics. Your list of clients is, is endless that you've worked with over the number of years. I mean, it goes from De Beers to John Deere, National Bank, Petro Canada, Pfizer, like you mentioned. One of our previous conversations, you mentioned your uh, experience with the Home Depot. And I really want to touch on that because I think that's a very enlightening conversation right there. Well, that was really special. That was one of those times when it was, um, when it all came together, which it doesn't, you know, all the time. But, um, and I give those folks great credit because that was now, we created that whole program. It's called the Orange Door. Uh, that was, uh, I can't remember, it was maybe eight years ago or something. But they were one that we, you know, it, as I said, if they hadn't wanted to come along on this journey, it would never have happened, but they did. They were looking for a an issue, you know, and um, so we went, um, the actual genesis of it was this a wonderful uh, person who was our colleague there named Paulette Menard, um, and I, we're, we ultimately, you know, we did a bunch of research. We ultimately we on, we're trying to find problems they could solve. And ultimately, one of the areas we looked at was homeless youth. And we went, Paulette and, and me, went to visit uh, a, a number of homeless organizations serving youth who experience homelessness. This is another important point. you got to get out of the office. You know, you can't just make these decisions sitting in your boardroom. So we are going to these different places. And we went to this one organization in here in Toronto called EVAs. 
And I remember this vividly. We were sitting there and someone on this, you know, from the EVA's group says, well, you know what? Homelessness can be sold. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, like you could actually stop this. And I remember we walked out and we were like, whoa, that's what we have to do. You know, now it wasn't that easy. We had to go back and, you know, ultimately, you know, present this to their, the board of directors of their foundation. But I remember that uh, one of the things that we were, the president of Home Depot at the time was there. You know, we kind of shared this whole thing. And um, he said in the room, he said, you know what, this is a really, really big and difficult thing. And that is why we have to do it. And so again, so the leadership was there. Anyway, that was the beginning of, of a journey that they are still on. And um, which I think is one of the most authentic corporate social change programs that I know of. And um, we were doing, we started to do things like, um, oh, we had something where uh, we started something where um, we, alloc- I don't remember how much money was, a number of hundred thousand um, dollars. We were, we thought, okay, if we, let's get a group of youth who've experienced homelessness together in a room and help them tell us and get them to tell us how they think we should be um, donating these funds. So literally we had, you know, groups of homeless youth um, and we shared them the applications for funding from different organizations. They asked incredible questions about what these groups were doing because they of course had the direct lived experience and were able to look at these applications in ways that we couldn't. And, um, and that was just one demonstration of how authentic um, that program was because it wasn't these wasn't just some you know kind of corporate folks sitting around deciding what to do and that um, was really um, a, a, you know kind of a I don't know sort of an awakening for for me um, to say this is what we should be doing in every single, corporate program that we do, which is to say, involving people with lived experience in helping to understand, helping us to understand what the issues are, what the what needs to be done to help solve these problems, and, um, and also helping to create the programs and implement the programs. So that's just become part of what we do. But it all came from that first basic thing, which was going to have that conversation at a community organization, learning from people who are actually experiencing, who know about this more than we do, and from people who've lived experience of this problem, and then working backwards from there. Do you find that's the common thread amongst businesses, that they're not getting uh, those directly affected involved in the decision-making process? Yeah, exactly. If they don't know. That's because you know, there's like it's like we all could sit around, all of us here could sit around talking about some issue. We had no clue. We know that you know, things that we don't know about. So, yeah, so answer your question. It is chronic, is a chronic problem. And I would go as far as to say that's one of the reasons why some of these programs don't work very well, because there are people like all of us sitting around trying to decide what to do, you know. And um, it's, it, you know, it's the craziest thing. Like, you don't have, you know, one example I always think of is like if you, in your business, say, you know, you had, um, Phil, you had a business and you were thinking, okay, we've got an IT problem here, a serious IT problem. So let's go and find some homeless people to help us solve that problem. 
they can they'll be able to do it of course you wouldn't do that however people like like you and i and other you know people in corporations would have no problem sitting around themselves and deciding what to do to help homeless people and then people are surprised well this doesn't work you know and um but i think that it's um so i feel like it's not only doing and you know it's not like in isolation i think the main thing is is that this kind of thinking you know it just it it just is totally grounded in the principle of co-creation but co-creation a lot in in partnership with people who actually know about this stuff you know and um so and that includes people that experience sometimes it's academics sometimes it's you know people who are working in social service organizations along with you know, employees and other people in a corporation, you know, and that's where the magic always happens. And, you know, where, where you're bringing people together who have all kinds of different experiences, to, including people with lived experience, to co-create programs and solutions. And that, I think, when that happens, I believe, so then you're also creating a story, you know, when it comes back, you know, ultimately when it comes to you know, communications and being seen to be authentic and so so on, you're actually creating, you're starting to create a story, um, which is not only contributing to a program, but contributing to a narrative that's genuinely impactful. What would you say are some do's and don'ts? I mean, we, we, we've talked just now about how to properly strategically plan to execute, um, you know, initiatives for social change. When businesses are sitting around at a table and brainstorming, I mean, what would you say are your main do's and don'ts when when trying to manifest an idea? You know, really take the time to understand what what is obviously aligned to your business, you know? And um, so um, that starts with that. Like, like, we always say, okay, well, like our process is like, okay, you're gonna understand the context. So what is the sort of DNA of this company? Don't forget to understand what's most important to employees. Of course, understanding who your consumers are, what matters to your investors, if it's a public company, what your competitors are doing, um, and and what issues are you know most most important out in the world. So you're not going to say you're a large company, you're not going to do something that um, that is you know not of real relevance in the world. So I feel like it's the intersection of all those things. Um, so don't forget to look at all those pieces, you know, but also do that in a way where you're involving people that know, have had firsthand experience of those things. Um, and um, don't think about a, a promotion, you know, don't think about doing this as a short-term promotion. Consider what a real commitment looks like over a longer period of time. And so that also relates to really considering how to measure the impact of this. And this is a real, you know, can be a real challenge because if you want short-term measurement of longer-term social change, that's very hard. Is that what you find is very common now amongst, from what you've seen from previous clients and maybe potential clients is that, you know, they, they, they initiate almost an instant end game to it rather than uh, long-term sustainable change. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very common because that's just how business and brands work. You know, like you, you want to be able to demonstrate the business case um, quickly. And um, in this case, 
it does require longer commitment. And that comes back to leadership. So one of the questions that I think is important to ask, going back to your last question, is, you know, don't forget to ask the question to what degree do we want to be a leader in this area? You know, so um, if and that comes back to also obviously an executive level understanding of that question and answering that. Um, and you know what, if you don't, if there isn't a, you know, internally a, a belief that that's something that, you know, a company or brand wants to do, then you know what, don't, it, it's like, I mean, I personally don't think that's right, but you know, don't, don't bother doing it. You know, it's not worth it. And you then I think that today, the risk is, is that people who sort of dabble in this area, because there's a world of brands that that are want that do as little as possible to be seen to do something, and that's their space. You know, well, that's not worth anything. We know that. You know, it's just not like just do nothing. Um, like it's not worth that. But you know, for those for those that are wanting to be leaders. Uh, which are the only people we're interested in working with, you know, um, then um, then there's a there's a different story. There's a different way of measuring it. And there's a commitment to the longer term, which is uh, necessary in spite of companies and brands that are increasingly short term in their in their uh, thinking about financial results. Personally, is that something you want to see businesses do more of rather, you know, be all in or not at all? Yeah, I do. You know, like I, I, I think so. It doesn't just go for, you know, honestly, it, people target corporations like they're something that's inherently irresponsible about companies, which I, you know, is not not true. Um, because the same kind of thinking is true for charitable organizations. I want the same thing that you just said for charities too. There's not a lot of charities that are not doing particularly good work in areas that are that they're actually supposed to be addressing. So they're thinking is too short term or they're not thinking about solutions. They're not thinking about the ultimate win for charities is, is putting themselves out of business, solving the problem. So they're not needed. So um, that's what I'm interested in. And um, but it's like the classic thing, you know, it's like if you don't aim high enough, what's that saying? Like if you aim too low, the danger is you actually achieve your target, <laughs> you know, and uh, so you need to go higher think bigger and um and and then that um elevates everything including what you're doing and how how you're seen to do what you're doing that makes sense do you have an off switch <laughs> well the reason why i ask is because i mean for, from the time that all of this manifested uh, within you at, at such a young age to the point you are right now um, do you take this with you outside the office? I mean, everywhere you go, when you're walking down the street, how have you helped create social change outside of what you do with impact? Is it just something that you inherently do now? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I started the impact, we started the impact foundation for social change as a place that is directly doing social change. So that feels really good. Um, and, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have, I, I'm pretty much, no, I pretty much don't have an op switch. I, I'd like to, you know. I still play guitar when I play music. I, I, that's that's kind of an outlet, or you know, going long bike rides. But I, I feel like um, I'm, I'm fairly obsessive compulsive. So you know, it was actually I wrote when I wrote the book. You were talking about change for good. There it is. Um, 
that was a very helpful thing because um, it was a good way to channel some of this, you know, into uh, into something that was constructive, not just wandering around thinking about things. You read my mind. I, I wanted to touch on the book Change for Good. Um, you know, it's going to be available on Amazon on March 15th. You can pre-order it now. Um, what was the catalyst for writing the book? What I mean, you've, you've got impact. You're, you're going strong with that. What made you feel the need that, you know, I need to write a book? Where did that idea stem from? Well, I don't know. I was always writing, you know, like it really, actually from very early on when I started, I was working, uh, ironically, I'm back here in the house. I started working in the house. It's still here, back here. Um, but um, yeah, the very early you know, the beginning, I was, I had very few clients and a lot of time. And um, someone who I really respect said to me, we should be writing, you know, write articles, you know, which I'd never done. And um, I was like, okay, I'll try that, you know, and because I said I had a lot of time. So I found it was very helpful in helping me think about what I was doing. And then probably because there was hardly anyone else thinking about this, I was writing these things. And then, so Canadian business started, you know, publishing these ultimately Forbes was, you know, I was writing a lot for Forbes. And um, so I was always writing, you know, but I hadn't, and I was in my mind, I thought, well, maybe there's a book in here, you know, like if I could somehow, you know, kind of edit all these things, you know, into one thing. And, um, and then, um, yeah, then ultimately I I kind of didn't seem like the right thing, but ultimately uh, there was a, kind of three ideas that I kept thinking about that I thought would be the base, could be the basis for a different book. I didn't also want to write, you know, I hate stuff that's boring. I didn't want to do something that was the same. And so, uh, you know, I was, took a while to kind of hone in for me to hone in with something that I was thought was, it was interesting to me, first of all. Um, And those were a couple of ideas. One that we just talked about, which was um, this whole idea that there seems to be a tendency for corporations and brands to do this thing of this sort of CSR light thing, you know, where they're doing as little as possible to be seen to be doing something, you know? And I thought that was interesting. And I also related to that. The other idea that I kept thinking about was this idea that companies are, are both mostly both good and bad at the same time, you know? So, um, how do you balance those things? How do you think about the ethics of that? And how do you make decisions based on that? And how do consumers look at companies that are clearly on the one hand, not doing the right thing at the same time as in some ways they are, you know? And um, so, you know, look at, I'm not sure. I mean, Facebook may be just more on the wrong side now of everything, but uh, I'm not sure. Well, but, you know, at a certain level, it's an important place for, you know, there's a lot of people who are for whom a sense of community is important, you know, that they've helped create. And I, I give them credit for that at the same time as they're obviously manipulating people. But so there's a good example of a company that's doing good and bad at the same time. Um, and uh, there's many, many of those, not too many that are like just good or just bad, you know. Right. So. So there was the CSR light thing. There was this good and bad thing. And then there was, I was saying before, this this whole thing of the, the ways in which involving people with lived experience could be helpful, you know, or better. And so those were the things that were kind of running through my mind. And um, 
and then it was during COVID. And actually, this idea of doing a book started before COVID. And probably if COVID hadn't happened, I wouldn't have written this because I wouldn't have had as much time. But um, anyway, so I these these folks at ECW Press were very very great, and I you know I started this conversation with them you know a year or something before COVID, and then ultimately they kind of liked this idea that I had for the book, and then then I wrote it um, earlier this year. Are there plans for a second? I have no idea. Well, good for change. <laughs> Change for good, good for change. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, there's some things that are that you know. There's like I, I, it wasn't that hard in a way be, to write this because I'm surrounded by this stuff. Like I'm constantly in a situation where I've got new input. You know, like I was telling you guys earlier about this place I was at last week, this week in Quebec City called Le, Le Monastère, uh, which is this incredible social enterprise came from a place these Augustinian sisters started this in the 1600s which was a, even then was a social enterprise a place of caring and hope and you know kind of mind body spirit and now this is run as a as a as a social enterprise you can go and stay there it's a wellness center i was there earlier this week and <clears throat> you know if i had been there when i was writing this book i would have put that in the book because that is an incredible example of ch- change for good or good for change, or whatever you want to call it, you know. Uh, I see David just put a question in the chat. Um, he asked, uh, "What what uh, businesses do you see doing really well in the area?" Um, well, there's the standard ones, you know. Of course, you know, you get people like the classic examples are, you know, probably the top. Almost everybody would say Patagonia, you know. So, and they are doing it through and through. Like I personally, I bought, I bought a just as one anecdote. I bought a, a Patagonia jacket last year. Of course, you know, when you look at it, it's just completely in depth and the, the programming of where they do and environmental social issues is incredible. Well, the thing was delivered by whatever it was delivered by, but literally on the package of the jacket, there was a whole thing about their, so I can't remember what it was called, but their whole environmental change program. Like you could not miss it. <laughs> so I was so impressed with that. Um, so they're sort of at the top. So you get people like that or Tom shoes and others that, that do, um, you know, and Ben and Jerry still, of course, um, you know, these are people at the top. Um, but then you've got others, um, that are, um, you know, trying and so, and who've done very good things. We've had the pleasure of working in the past with Starbucks. Um, when Howard Schultz in particular was running Starbucks, I, I thought that, you know, they were, he was very genuine about this stuff. And, um, you know, of course, there was the incident um, in Philadelphia, I think, which is terrible. Um, but um, in addition to that, um, they had this whole thing where they, they're hiring what they call opportunity youth across North America and Canada, creating jobs for people using employment as a as a as the main driver of social change and someone who is really uh, committed to um yeah advocacy um uh, which has of course become so important now like when 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 um uh you know he he came out in favor of gay marriage at a time when you know, a lot of their customers probably didn't support that and also also specifically requested people in the US do not show up at Starbucks stores with guns 
well, that takes a lot of courage, you know, especially there. So, uh, um, so there's, there's an, another example, but then there's loads of, so you get the big brands, but then you've got all kinds of smaller examples. There's a remarkable company started by an indigenous woman in Canada. It's called Cheekbone Beauty. Her name is Jennifer, Jen Harper. And um, she has started this company that is, is a, is a beauty company that the, the, ingredients or products or whatever you call them the the stuff that these that these things are made out of is all natural they're employing people um from those communities and the and and the 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 i think she started the foundation the whole thing is supporting top to bottom the um the needs of indigenous communities and it's a great brand and i read recently she's i think just now being carried in um sephora so there's you know, look up, if anyone's interested, look up Cheekbone Beauty. The story is incredible. So, you know, it, there's all kinds of examples, but I think that, I think the main thing, at least to me, is companies that are, as I said, committing to, you know, in a very much more um, substantive way to doing this kind of work. We were starting to get some questions in from the listeners now that uh, I think I really want to address these because Andrew actually brings up a really interesting point that public companies are obligated to report financials to shareholders. Um, you know, do you see a future where they're obligated to have a CSR program and report that performance? Well, I think so. I mean, I think that I mean, it's already starting to happen in small ways. You know, like you've got companies that have to do, I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, whatever you call it, you know, when they, they have, uh, you know, people have to the nutritional ingredients of, you know, their products, you know, so you could easily see a, a sort of extension of that where people are having to substantiate what their, you know, contribution to society is, or, you know, more, you know, t- at a very timely level, um, their, the degree to which they're reducing their environmental impact and contributing to stopping climate change. So there are, in fact, some examples of that, and I just don't remember them offhand. But in Britain, I believe there is a is a, a kind of a climate change sort of indicator that some brands have. So um, so that's that's a start. But I think that um, Andrew's question is really relevant. In particular, you know, is you know, with the question related to shareholders and and financial statements, because that. Companies like BlackRock, the world's largest institutional investor, have made it a priority to look at companies through the lens of what's called ESG, environment, social, and governance activities, um, and to um, and to make investing decisions based on the de- the degree to which companies are are compliant, more than compliant, are actually taking action in these areas. So um, the answer is yes. And it's probably in, in implicitly starting to happen. What spaces do you feel need the most in, most attention and involvement currently right now? I don't know. I feel that's a great question. I, I guess, you know, employment is, um, is something I think that is at the root of a lot of this stuff, you know, so various kinds of, you know, um, negative outcomes and situations such as poverty and poor nutrition and, and low education are most often related to low income, of course, which is related to lack of or underemployment. So um, there's all kinds of uh, areas that, that 
you know, that can be addressed there. As an example, um, you know, Canada has been very progressive in terms of, you know, welcoming refugees and newcomers to this country, not so good at finding ways for these people to be employed. So, um, and if without employment, some of those other social issues are, um, you know, are inevitable. So I would say that's one area I, I would, I, I think about that a lot. That kind of lends me into uh, a question that Alice has just put in the chat. Um, what areas of social change would you like to dive into personally that you haven't had the chance to already? Well, that's a great question too. Um, another area which well, we have done a little bit in this area, but I'm personally very interested in and passionate about, uh, which is sustainable transportation. Uh, so, and the impact of sustainable transportation on um of course, on the environment, but also on on community building. Um, and then um, another thing that actually we're doing now, which so it's I guess I have been involved in it, is um, is but it's related to it. What that uh, that point, which is um, how to use public space better for the purpose of social change. So um, are those are areas that I, I'm particularly interested in. I'd like to do more. In. Where would you like to see social change heading in the next, you know, five to 10 years, personally? Well, obviously, you know, in, like to me, the, 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 the real answer to that is that we don't even need to be focusing on it. I mean, the, the real thing is, is that problems are more problems are solved so that people like me don't have to do this. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like that's I could just go back to playing guitar and riding my bicycle or something, you know, like I'm happy with that. Um, but um yeah, so that's the, and those are, comes back to what we we're saying at the very beginning, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which are, you know, which are targeted to be solved by 2030. Of course, they're not going to be, not enough of them. But um, so more, more problems being solved is the answer. Uh, one thing I like to ask um, a lot of uh, the people that I have conversations with is that if you could put a short sentence on a billboard for the world to see, what would it say? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I always say business is good. For, social change is good for business and business is good for social change. Very good. Um, where can people find you? At impact, Paul at impactcorp.com. But impact is with a K or the website is the same, impactcorp.com. That's the best way. Twitter, LinkedIn. The book is called Change for Good. It is available on Amazon as of March 15th, 2022. Uh, Paul, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to sit down with us and discuss with our agency the uh, your approach to social change and the impacts moving forward into the world. Um, I speak on behalf of all of us that we greatly appreciate your time. Well, it's a big ple- it's a great pleasure, and you know my final comment is you guys have an important role to play in this, and um, and I appreciate that. And there's just loads of opportunity in this area for, for an organization like yours. Thank you. Uh, everybody, if you have any other questions for Paul, please send them through to us and, uh, we will send them over to him. Uh, for anyone that is interested, this will be available on Apple podcasts and Spotify in the next couple days. So watch out for that. We'll be sharing that link. Thank you everyone. And have a great day. That was my conversation with Paul Klein, a lot there to digest, but some really meaningful content. Paul and I had a few conversations actually leading up to this podcast Each time I learn something new about him and how he's striving to help businesses create meaningful and long-term sustainable social change. I recently pre-ordered his book on Amazon, which ships in March of 2022. And if anything Paul mentioned today resonates with you, I encourage you to do the same.
I'm anticipating a very insightful read. Now, I often say with a great sense of pride how fortunate I feel to have a front row seat in this industry, an industry that can help lead by example when it comes to instituting positive social change. Back in March of this year, for example, uh, here at Juniper Park TBWA, the agency launched our internal incubator and mentorship program named Trampoline, with the vision aimed at helping BIPOC-owned small to medium-sized enterprises establishing brand identities, as well as BIPOC students looking to break into the advertising industry. Our first pro bono client to receive branding and creative services was Neil's Sweet and Nice, an ice cream brand with roots in the Caribbean. During that time, also three students were chosen from OCAD, Miami Ad School, and Ryerson University to join the agency for a three-month paid internship. Now, also interestingly enough, just shy of 50% of our staff at Juniper Park TBWA was not born in Canada and in an industry that historically has been male-dominated. Roughly half of Juniper Park TBWA staff is made up of women. And while these figures are certainly something to be proud of, our team is constantly looking for ways to build on these initiatives as we move forward. Now, if this is your first time listening and would like to receive all future episodes as they go live, hit the subscribe button. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can follow Juniper Park TBWA on all major social media platforms. Join us next time as we talk to, listen, and learn from people who are using disruption to grow and improve business and culture throughout the world. The Juniper Park TBWA Disruptor Series podcast is a production of Juniper Park TBWA in conjunction with Bolt Content. Our executive producer and project manager is Val Smith. Our co-executive producer and lead writer is Andre Bell. And I am your host, Phil Toledis. 